the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. I'd like to just ask you a question. Do you really think it matters what you believe? I mean, isn't it all just about having faith, right? As long as you have some sort of faith in something or someone, that's good, right? We would say that it's good to have faith. Politicians say, yeah, it's, it's great that you have a faith. We are a people of faith. And as long as you believe in something, uh, you're good. Well, that's, that's kind of obvious. Everybody believes something, right? It's super generic. Does it really matter what you believe? The answer to that question is absolutely. Your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. This is going to come to bear in this life and most certainly in the life to come. And that is why it is critically important that you make sure that your faith is in someone that is absolutely true. That your faith is truly in the one true God who actually made you and designed for you to know him. And that you're not settling for any substitute or any half-baked truths, but your faith is truly in him. This is critical. And right now, I mean, we live in a society that we have just a plethora of options before us. I mean, you can turn on TV and there's all these different options. You go through a bookstore and you go through like like the religious section, like my I mean, every stripe and shade. It's right there. And even if even among, quote unquote, Christian channels or Christian radio, even you can hear all these different flavors. And sometimes they kind of contradict one another. And you're like, what is the Christian message? And there's actually a widespread confusion. Even what is the gospel? What what does it really mean to know Christ? And so how do you know? And so some people just kind of go, well, as long as the person speaking is sincere, that's going to work for me. And so they kind of base it on sincerity or nice, even if they're presented like, you know, hey, what they're saying is wrong. But like, well, how can she be wrong when she's so nice and sincere? And so we're going to find out today how important is it that what we believe is true And how important it is to make sure that we don't have falsehood slipping into our belief system. Now, just because you're nice and charming doesn't make you an authority on scriptural truth. Just because uh, you can throw the word Jesus or Bible or put a Bible verse or two in some sort of message or seminar doesn't necessarily make it true or necessarily Christian. Let me give you an example uh, maybe some of you are familiar with. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Jim Jones? Anybody hear him? Yeah. Okay. And Jim Jones, real interesting, very charismatic individual. He was extremely nice and charming. He was extremely well connected. Um, and But later on, he began teaching that he himself was God. Okay. There were all these different warning signs. I mean, he was strongly communist, and yet he was nice and charming. He was very well connected. Let me give you some people that he had won the approval of. Political leaders like vice presidential candidate Walter Mondale and the eventual president Jimmy and Rosalind, Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind, and the mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown. In fact, in 1976, the mayor of San Francisco, in a testimonial dinner in honor of Jim Jones, Mayor Willie Brown introduced him like this. He says, let me present to you what you should see every day when you look in the mirror in the early morning hours. Let me present to you a combination of Martin King, Angela Davis, Albert Einstein, and Chairman Mao, like the communist leader. 
And then he presented Jim Jones. And then two years after that event, November 18th, 1978, Jim Jones in Jonestown, Guyana, took 909 of his followers and led them into a mass suicide. It's good. I, I hear this every once in a while, people saying, yeah, I drank the Kool-Aid. You ever heard that? Where does that come from? That comes from this event. Actually, it was grape flavorade, not Kool-Aid. And in that grape flavorade that they had made, they put a sedative, a sedative and they also had a strict cyanide in there. And he led them all into a mass suicide. This man who said that he was God. Prior to that, what led to this event is there were five people that came to investigate him. And he had his guards shoot them at an airstrip. And then he told them that the uh, Soviet Union was not going to come to their rescue. And so in an act of defiance, they were going to commit this mass suicide. And he led them into it. And they believed him. They believed what he said was true because they didn't exercise discernment. And they couldn't tell the difference between false and true. And friends, if that happened in 1978, how much more so today... When most people, even most people in churches, are biblically illiterate, they're not actually sure what is true, what the Bible really even says, and what is the gospel. And is this important? Well, let's ask Jesus. You see, a failure to discern can be spiritually deadly. And today we're going to meet some folks that Jesus said, were completely off course, and they were misleading a nation. We've come across them before. Jesus has been encountering the Pharisees. And in Matthew chapter 15, remember in the, in the chapter that we had just looked at? In Matthew chapter 15, when, when the apostles came up to Jesus and said, Hey, what you just said back there offended the Pharisees and the scribes. When you just told them that they were breaking God's law by their traditions, Remember that whole bit where they said, hey, everything I have is Corbin, it's a gift to God, and so I can't actually use it to serve my parents and help them, and thus they violated the fifth commandment of honoring your mother and father. And, they, and Jesus said, you know what, you are flat out wrong. You are, have a habit and a pattern of actually violating the word of God with your traditions. And when the apostle said, hey, you really made them mad, Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 13, he said, Every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted and let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. They are blind. They do not see. And they're not from my father. And they are misleading the masses and they're leading them astray. They are in the lead position, but they are lost. Well, we we had that incident take place. And now. Matthew chapter 16, when you read verse 1, the original recipients, and when this happened, this would have raised a lot of eyebrows. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up testing Jesus, and they asked him to show him a sign from heaven. What is the condition of those who are lost? What does it really look like? Well, the first thing you're going to find is that they are unaccepting. In verse 1, these two groups of people, they come up, they want to test Jesus. Now, Pharisees, Sadducees, you're like, ah, oh, no big deal. These guys were 
theological enemies. They had nothing to do with one another. They hated each other. They despised each other. And yet they found themselves united by a common, quote-unquote, enemy, this Jesus of Nazareth, who was claiming to be the Messiah. And people were saying, he is indeed the promised son of David. When I was in uh, junior high, uh, I had this uh, English teacher. She was teaching writing in English. And she had part of her assignment for the first, like, ten minutes of class. We were supposed to write anything we wanted in a journal. She didn't care what you wrote, just as long as you're writing. No cartoons. Just write something. So... Actually, I really enjoyed assignments like that. It was like no parameters. And so, you know, one of the things I thought is like, I thought I'd probably solve like, like the world peace issue one time in junior high. And you remember, if, back when I went to junior high, I was kind of in the midst of the Cold War, where we actually were afraid that the Soviet Union might just press some buttons and all of a sudden we'd just be blown off the face of the earth and that we'd reciprocate. And so I was like, well, you know, what if, what if we had a common enemy? What if there was someone that was that we both hated that we could kind of unite to try to work against a common cause? And that was kind of my plan. If we had this common enemy, maybe we could set aside our differences and work together and we wouldn't kill each other. Well, that same sort of mentality, that's what's going on here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees had the support of the people. The Sadducees had the political power in Jerusalem. The Pharisees were like the religious legalists. In fact, they were the separatists of the day. They separated themselves from anything that would be they considered unclean. In fact, many Pharisees wouldn't even eat with a non-Pharisee because they were unclean. And even if they were Jewish, they just like, Ugh. and not only that, they had they had the law and, and God's word. They believed all the books of the Old Testament, but on equal par, they had the traditions of the elders, the oral traditions, and they held them on equal par and they would memorize them. And they had so they had not only what God had given in his word, but then they had all these rules and regulations and rituals that they put on top of this so they wouldn't violate the word. And what happened is that their whole faith became their ability to stay within the system, to actually accomplish all the rules and the regulations. And their faith moved from trusting God to actually their performance and their conformity to these rules, regulations, and what they found in the word. Now, they were, they despised the Roman government. They didn't want anything infiltrating uh, their, their system of belief. They believed in, in the resurrection. They believed in miracles. They believed in angels. They believed anything found in the word. But they were separatists. And one of the things that happened is, even though the law is beautiful and it's beneficial, the law was meant to show that they couldn't keep it and they desperately needed the Messiah, a savior. And they missed that. They were so busy trying to keep the law and all their rules and regulations that they put on equal par with the scripture that they actually missed the need of the savior. We have the Pharisees. We also have these Sadducees. These were the urban elite. They tended to be aristocratic. They were priests, merchants, many of the Sanhedrin and the high priests during the Roman Empire were primarily from the Sanhedrin. And these were like the religious liberals. Okay, they denied the resurrection. They denied miracles. They denied angels. The only books of the Bible they felt like had any authoritative merit were the first five books, the five books called the law. That's the only the only scriptures they would allow. 
Okay, the rest of it, they just nah, it could be informative. And then they had all sorts of allegorical and spiritual translations, and they just pretty much could dismiss anything they wanted. Okay, that's kind of how they functioned. And they they were just they were kind of the elite. They were kind of in pretty good with the Roman Empire. Uh, They they kind of kind of fit into whatever situation you needed, kind of like. Remember a guy by the name of Voltaire? He was an atheist philosopher in the Enlightenment period. And this French atheist, Voltaire, he made this kind of statement. Quote, even if a miracle should be wrought in the open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit a miracle. The idea is, even if God should do something so apparent that a thousand sober people would recognize and see, I'm of the persuasion I will not believe. That's where, like, the Sadducees, that's where they were at. And so to see these two coming together, this is like, whoa, this is far different than, like, if the Aggies and, and University of Texas all came together and they had, like, a mutual appreciation dinner for each other's athletic programs. These people had nothing to do with one another. They didn't like each other. They stayed away from each other. The Pharisees kind of considered them unclean because they were always hanging around with the Romans. And now they're together. They got a common enemy. We have got to do something with this Jesus. And so they asked for a sign. And it's not just a sign and a testing miracle, a sign from heaven. They wanted Jesus to do something that was so apparent that he he absolutely would prove to them that he's the Messiah. Even though the Sadducees felt like what? There's no supernatural. God doesn't do miracles. Religion is just something to help you out and to help us out. And we can make money off it. They didn't think Jesus could do these miracles. And yet he kept doing miracles. They kept hearing these things. And so they wanted him to do a once for all sign. The kind of what they're doing is they've teamed up together. And the people, the common people would think if anybody would know how to test if this man, Jesus, is really the Messiah, these guys would be it. They would know the test. And so they're kind of setting themselves up like, hey, if you're really the Messiah, hey, meet the exam, ace it, do the test, give us a sign from heaven, make a constellation change, make the moon go across the sky, or like the prophecy from Joel, turn the, turn the moon to blood. Do something so radical, significant, that we will see and we will know. That's what they're doing. They want him to do that. Now, this is really interesting. In the Old Testament, there is no prophecy that predicted that the Messiah was going to do some sort of radical sign from the heavens. But they wanted the people to believe that. And so that's what they're doing. They're asking Jesus, because of their unacceptance of him, to do some radical sign. So Jesus, verse 2, but he replied to them, and you gotta, you, you got to just see the tension in this moment. Do the sign from heaven, okay? These are the authorities, right? Jesus replied to them, let's talk about the weather. What? When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And you could just see the little wheels running through their heads like, what is he talking about? And in the morning, verse 3, There will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? You see, with the people that are absolutely lost, they are undiscerning. 
And Jesus says, you know, it's really interesting. You guys, you have your little folk meteorology. You have a way of predicting the weather. In fact, it's really interesting that Jesus actually quotes this because we still kind of have that little old mariner's proverb, that little rhyme, red sky in the morning. What? Sailors take warning, right? And if it's red sky at night, sailors delight. Remember that? Okay. That, where did that come from? That goes back at least a couple thousand years. And that's how they used it to kind of predict the weather. Okay. Obviously, knowing what the weather is going to be like, especially if you're a fisherman, was extremely important. And so they were following that. And Jesus says, you know what? I've noticed something about you guys. You're really good with understanding the weather. You're locked in on the weather channel. You got it. You're doing good. But how is it that you, the religious leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, how is it that you cannot discern the signs of the times? How is it that you, the authorities in the scripture, are missing who I really am? How did that happen? You see, they're asking for a sign when in actuality, Jesus himself is the sign. I mean, he's been doing signs by, for instance, like the, he has John the Baptist. He is coming and proclaiming and heralding the way of the Messiah. That is directly out of Isaiah. John says, I'm him. I am making way the way clear for Messiah. And remember when Jesus actually is baptized by John the Baptist? They wanted a sign from heaven. Actually, God gave them one. Remember the heavens were opened? The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove. And you remember there was a voice out of heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This one is mine. You wanted a sign from heaven? You had it. And then look at all the miracles that Jesus had done. Healing people. Blind, sick, lame. Raising someone from the dead. Feeding Thousands of people. Wisdom that has never been paralleled. Insights into the word. Compassion. The compassion of God himself. And yet they would deny all of that. And then there are some other signs. The fact that the Jews would reject their Messiah is actually a fulfillment of prophecies like in Isaiah chapter 6. And that the gospel... The message of the kingdom would go to the Gentiles is also a prophecy given in the book of Isaiah, like in Isaiah 9 and 42. These were signs from heaven being performed through the sign, Jesus Christ. And they're saying, we want you to do a sign from heaven. And Jesus says, how is it that you are so undiscerning? They're unaccepting, they're undiscerning, and they are unbelieving. So look at verse 4. Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. I don't want you to miss verse 4 because it is critical. It's a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, an evil and adulterous generation. This isn't the first time he said this, evil and adulterous. You might think, whoo. That's pretty strong. When he calls, says adulterous, it's bringing them back to what the prophets would say about the people of Israel. You see, they were like married by covenant and united with God. They were his people. 
And when they went out for their own gods and focused on their money and worshiped the gods of the peoples that they were around, God said, it's not another way. Or wait, you're a little misguided. Or wait, we have an agreement here and you're off track. He always called it adultery. It is a spiritual divorce. It is involving yourself with another that doesn't belong to you at the same time, violating a covenant with the one that you do belong to. Do you know why Jesus uses the word adultery? When people go and seek out spiritual fulfillment relationship outside of the one true God is because God takes it very personally. It's personal to him. It's not a matter of individual choice. It's not a matter of just all roads lead to heaven. He takes it deeply personal. That's why Jesus says You're in, this is an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. See, if Jesus did another sign, like one more miracle, you think that really would just have them like, yes, you're the Messiah. We're going to bow down and we'll worship you. No, it would satisfy their curiosity for a bit until they could kind of try to explain it away. They've already done that. Remember, they couldn't deny the Pharisees couldn't deny some of the miracles. So they said, well, the only way you could do this is through the power of Satan. And Jesus said, you know what? Let me tell you about the unforgivable sin. And you just did it when you assigned my work to the work of Satan that the spirit of God is doing in me. That is that, my friends, has crossed the line. And so he says, I'm not. It's an evil generation that seeks for a sign. I'm not going to give you any other sign except one, except the sign of Jonah. Remember the sign of Jonah? He had actually talked about that in Matthew chapter 12. He said, hey, you want a sign? I will give you a sign. It will be the sign of Jonah. And just to remember, as Jonah was in the belly of that sea monster for three days, and then he was regurgitated upon the land, well, so the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth, and then three days later he will rise again. I will give you a final sign, and that sign will be my death, my burial, and my resurrection. That will be a sign to you. It is the sign of Jonah that indeed I am the one true promised Messiah. I am the Son of God, and you must believe in me. By the way, that is exactly what Peter preached on the very first message at Pentecost. Remember, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. It was a sign to the people of Israel. It's a sign to the world. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any other sign but this one. And then it says, you see that in verse four at the end? And he left them. That word has the idea of like leaving behind, but it oftentimes carries the idea of forsaking or abandoning. From this time forth, Jesus pretty much now retreats to focus on developing his men. He is going to have a few more interchanges, but for the most part, from now until the cross, it's going to be about developing his men. That is going to be his primary ministry. So he is in, you found in verse 15, verse 39, he's in Magadan. That's where Magdala is, kind of on the, the, if you're looking at that, it's like the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to go across the Sea of Galilee. He's going to leave them. He's heading up north, so they're going to cross the sea. They're going back into Gentile country, and he's going to leave them. Let me tell you, 
If you're here today and you're kind of researching Christianity or you're not sure if you want to believe in Christ or not, or maybe you've even got the mindset, I want God to do a miracle or appear to me, he's not going to do miracles to satisfy your curiosity. Everything that you need for life, salvation, relationship with God, proof, he has given through his word. He's got the miracles of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's got the testimony of millions and millions of people throughout the last 2,000 years. Generations of people attesting that Jesus indeed is Lord and Savior and the one who forgives us our sins. You've even seen him work in your own life and brought you to this point. What you need is faith, not more signs. Just believe in Christ. Well, that's the condition of those who are lost. But let me tell you, their condition can lead to corruption. The condition of the lost can actually influence the belief systems, even of those who are saved, those who know Christ, those who are following him, those who are relating to him. And hence, what we find here in verse 5, we find discipleship at its finest. We find Jesus interacting with his men, taking real-life situations, great concerns, teaching his men. And so verse 5, the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Now, think if you were one of the disciples. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you had grown up your entire life respecting them. They were the authorities. In fact, that had been the generational practice in your family. You had just always respected them. They were always there. And now... Jesus says, no, they're blind, they're evil, they're adulterous. Get in the boat, cross the side. And they had to leave that which was familiar, that which was their tradition. Get in the boat and follow Jesus. And oftentimes when they got in the boat, it was oftentimes a rough ride. And so they got in the boat and notice there was a discussion that came up. But they had forgotten to bring any bread And so they were aware of this. Mark tells us that they actually only had one loaf of bread between them in Mark chapter 8, verse 14. So they're obviously thinking about that, that we're rather ill prepared for a journey. And just like Jesus says, we're moving, we're moving now. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he makes the statement. And you're, you know how they're like when you're like, I think I understand what you're saying, but I don't know. And they're kind of nodding their head and they're looking at everybody else. Everybody else kind of understand what he's saying. And then, then verse seven, they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, oh, uh, I know what he's saying. He said that because we did not bring any bread, that's oh, he, he made the statement about being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He must have said that because he knows we only have one loaf of bread between us. That's why he's making the statement. Or maybe, maybe he's, they're thinking, you know, Jesus is warning us, don't buy bread if the Pharisees or the Sadducees made it, you know, and so, because that would be unclean. And, and they're kind of playing, they're, they're playing into their traditions. Do you remember, Jesus just addressed this, but that if you, if you ate food, the Pharisees and the scribes, they actually had these rules that there were certain foods, like, if you ate this, that, well, this would make you unclean. In fact, Jesus had made the statement that basically said all foods were clean. That's not, food doesn't defile you. What defiles you is what's going on in your heart. But you see, 
they're still kind of thinking they're back in the old system. They're back with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and things they believed. And so they're thinking, maybe it's about that. Or maybe, oh, we're without bread. We're not, we're ill-prepared. And they're having this discussion among themselves. And verse 8, but Jesus was aware of this. He was aware of the dialogue and the conversation going on in the boat. And he said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Dead silence. Okay, uh, why are we talking about this? Verse 9. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves or the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Do you remember when I fed 5,000? Do you remember the baskets you picked up? Why are you concerned about food? Remember how many baskets? There were 12 small baskets of leftovers. And they're like, yeah. And then Jesus says, or guess what? Remember verse 10? Or you know the seven loaves? And the 4,000, and how many large baskets full you picked up? Remember that? Remember all those large baskets that you had? There were seven of them? Picked up all those leftovers? Why are you worried about food that you only have one loaf? I, I can provide for you. Have I not shown you? Why are you worried about bread? You should have understood that I was speaking about Something spiritual. Don't be worried about the physical all the time. Listen to what I am saying. And he says, verse 11, how is it that you do not, there's our word again, understand. Critical for discipleship with Jesus is that his men understood him. That you understand, that you grow in knowledge, that you don't stay in spiritual ignorance. He says, how is it that you did not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's talking about leaven. Now, you familiar with breaking bread? You have leaven, yeast causes bread to rise. Now, how, what they would do is when they would make bread, they would always save a little lump of the dough and that next that little lump, then they would put in with the next batch of flour and water and that yeast that would then spread into their next loaf. OK, and they would always keep doing that. And some, some ladies actually still do that today. You always keep a little bit of that last piece of dough and you keep it and then you mix it in with your next batch. OK, it actually makes some extremely good bread. And that's exactly what they did. You see that yeast then permeates and keeps growing and it gets dispersed among all the rest of that, the dough. And it, and it permeates the entire uh, uh, dough to make all the bread, causing it to rise. That's what the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, is like. It's like yeast. And when it makes entrance into the dough and it gets all mixed around there, it causes a growth. Not a healthy growth, growth but one that actually leads to devastation and destruction. It's really interesting when the Israelites came out of Egypt. Remember, one of the things that they were not supposed to bring was what? Bring no leaven, no leaven bread, no leaven. Why? What's the big deal about leaven? Leaven's good, right? It helps with the bread. God was making a statement. All the influence of your oppressors, we're starting new. I don't want their influence in your life. Just leave all the leaven behind. And so Jesus, he's actually speaking, not materially, but spiritually. 
He did this frequently. Remember like in John 3 where he said, you must be born again. And he's talking to Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus is like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. How is it that you can be physically get into your mother's womb again? And Jesus is like, hey, you're, listen, I, I'm speaking spiritually. You're taking me materially. Or remember in John chapter 4, he says, hey, I've got water that if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. And remember the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, like, oh, man, that would save me a lot of trips. How can I get that water? And Jesus says, no, you're, you're not understanding. Let me help you understand. I am the water of life. Or probably the most troubling one is in John chapter 6, where Jesus said, you know, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Whoa. What is he, is he talking about cannibalism there? And you know what? At that point, a lot of his followers walked away from him. Why? They didn't understand that he was speaking metaphorically, that you've got to trust him in his work completely. And so what he's doing, he's saying, you've got to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It has a way of creeping in. So what is this leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, the leaven of the Pharisees is legalism. The leaven of the Sadducees is religious liberalism. Now, let's first of all, kind of talk about this really friends this is a math problem you see what what's going on here is really a math problem the pharisees they were adding legalism they were adding things to the truth they added the oral tradition the rituals the routines all this washing bit all these different rules of how far you could walk on the sabbath and what you could and could not do They were adding things and equating following these rules, these rituals, these regulations as authentic faith. And they were putting their faith in their traditions and their ability to practice the things that they were putting in front of you rather than in God. Okay, they had conditional acceptance based upon your conformity to those standards. And they had the absence of grace. They missed righteousness by faith in God alone. They didn't understand grace and that God freely gives. They had rules and legalism and they were binding people up. And what happened is that these people were just deteriorating from the inside, trying to keep up with all their rules and regulations, like little hamsters on wheel, just and they were judging each other. And that's exactly what happens with legalism, because it happened back then and it happens today. There are some groups that seem to just specialize in imposing all these different rules on people. The freedoms that we have in Christ to fully enjoy him, that is completely suppressed by all these rules that you've got to keep up to either earn or maintain your salvation. And it gets the focus gets off of God and onto the rules. And Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees. They were, they were really into the word. They knew their Old Testament well. But remember in John 5:39, he said, hey, listen, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these speak of me. Yeah, you're getting all your points at your little Awana program. You memorize the verses. But do you realize that these speak of me? You missed it. It's about me. That is why they're rejecting the Messiah. They never saw their need for Christ because they had their own righteousness built up on their own rules. And furthermore, 
They had something else that came up with their legalistic pursuit, and that was a love of money. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, you know what? You can only serve one master. You can't serve two. You're either going to serve God or money, but you can't serve both. And in the very next verse, it says, verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. Because in their mindset, legalistic as they were, you could have both. When Jesus said, you can't. I remember when I was teaching guitar, I um, had all these lessons, these students, and give lessons in some different places. I, had, I was teaching at the seminary while I was going to school, working on my master's degree. I had a, I had a student that came in from town in Portland, and uh, he was a little bit unusual there and uh, kind of always stressed out. And, but, you know, I really enjoyed learning how to play the guitar and working with him. One time he came, he was just a few minutes late, and he was, he was a wreck. And I'm like, whoa, dude, it's all right, man. You know, and he's like, oh. And I was like, why are you so upset? And he said, well, you know, he, he thought he actually lost his salvation. I'm like, what? What, what are you talking about? Well, he, he was speeding to get to the lesson. And he, and he broke the, the law. I'm like, you know what? I'm sure that's covered, okay? I, you're, you, you didn't lose your salvation. What are you talking about? I, how often do you lose your salvation? He's like, like, like six or seven times a day. And he's all serious. He's, you're kidding. I said, you know, do you mind if sometime after one of our lessons we just sat down and talked? I, I feel like there's some things that you need to know about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, about grace. And so one time I did, I sat with him in the, in the lunch area there, and I covered all these passages from like Romans and Ephesians about grace and what it really means to know Christ and the grace that we have, that Christ has paid it all and he's finished it. And we can never earn God's favor. Even on our worst days, he loves us completely and immensely. It was just like his eyes were open. He was just, and whoa, he'd never heard any of this before. And he'd pretty much been in church all his life. He was so free, you could see him white, just, just like, he was like, a weight had been lifted. Within two weeks, his pastor had him whipped back in shape. I said, hey, what happened? His pastor had convinced him that this sort of teaching was dangerous, and he was really in spiritual danger by believing that he didn't have to just keep it up. And with that, it was all dropped, and he slipped back into the patterns. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is religious legalism. But he also said, beware of the leaven of not only the Pharisees, but the Sadducees. What is the Sadducees? These were kind of the religious elite, the urban elite. Their math problem is that they subtracted from the word of God. They took the liberal view toward God and his word. They made man and his rationale and his reason superior to God and his revelation. Okay? And so that's what they did. They would strip out, ah, we're all those books of the Bible, we'll, we'll just take these five and we'll spiritualize their meaning. And they totally ripped out its effect. All the miraculous, the supernatural, which is found in the first five of the book of the Bible, I mean, beginning in verse one even, dismissed it. Had spiritual meanings behind it. So much so they completely moved away from the truth of the scriptures. And so what they would do is they, they were just kind of like the liberals, uh, the liberals of today. They had a system of beliefs that were filled with doubts and denials. They were materialistic and they were rationalistic. And so it's like if you look at like liberal theologians today, it's not that um, it's not that there's a lack of evidence for God and his revelation. 
is that they choose not to believe it. They would rather put their their thoughts, their faith, their basis of living and believing on man systems, whether that be in psychology or evolution or skepticism, they they're irrationalism. It's not that God hasn't given us revelation. It's that they choose to reject that revelation or take the parts that are convenient for them and focus more on man's reason and rationale. And hence, you've got a lot of liberalism that takes place, especially in American Christianity, where the word of God is, whether it's, it's literally taken out or they intentionally just avoid a lot of the things that God has to say. And what happens is it leads to all this watering down. And pretty soon you have churches, they're not sure even what they believe, and they've moved far away from the gospel of God and of grace and of Christ. And if you want to take something for a full value, you can, but if you don't, that is totally fine. We're just accepting here. And Jesus says, I want you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's not that they have a lack of evidence about God. It's that they choose not to look at the evidence and they develop a belief system in spite of it. And what does this lead to, the the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? It leads to this. It leads to hypocrisy, outward show, minus an inward reality. It leads to political opportunism, i.e. the Sadducees, always working it in with the Romans. And it leads to a hardness of heart. When you have a system of faith or beliefs that doesn't recognize your spiritual depravity and the death and the poverty that you live in spiritually, you will never see your need for Christ and hence you will reject him. You will say, okay, yeah, Jesus is my savior, but you'll have a system of beliefs that really has very little to do with Jesus. That's what happened here. You see, friends, deception destroys Deception destroys. It destroys God's work in you. It destroys, in some respects, relationship with God because it is so distorted from the truth that people never get it. So you want to be aware and you want to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Friends, not all roads lead to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's through me and my truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth. You come through me and me alone. So how do I um, become better at discerning? Let me just, just simply tell you. Be so familiar with the truth and Jesus Christ that you can identify when something is false. Cultivate a love for God and his word, and you will find that as soon as you see something false, you're like, uh-uh, this doesn't make the smell test. Let me give you another one. Romans 4.3a What does the scripture say? Listen, you don't take my word for it. I will absolutely. We work extremely hard to present truth and only truth to you. But don't take my word for it. You look it up in here. What does the scripture say? What does it say about the gospel, sin, salvation, life, hell, heaven, eternity, death? Let the scripture be your guard and your grid. I tell you, I was so impressed with one of our high school girls. She graduated going off to college. I found out from her mother that she and some friends took the book of Acts and they looked at all the characteristics of a healthy church. They wrote them all down and they were going to use this as their grid to go identify the church that they were going to worship and be a part of when they went to college. I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm like, how? 
Oh, that's awesome. I was so fired up. I'm like, tell her I'd like to see that. A couple days later, I had it. I was thoroughly impressed with the biblical approach. What scripture, what does scripture say? And let me, the third thing, place yourself under healthy Christian leaders. Place yourself under people who are absolutely submitted to Christ. They believe in the authority of the word. They are teaching the word. They want you to grow and mature in Christ. They'll tell you even the hard things because they don't want you to stay immature. They love you enough to want to see you grow and be everything that Christ desires for you to be. Place yourself under that kind of leadership. Find people that will feed you the word and give you the truth and love you and lead you to depth and maturity and love for Christ. But friends, I'm worried and I'm concerned. I'd like to leave you with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He said, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I am afraid that just like the serpent deceived Eve, you might be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That something will climb into your belief system. That you will mix air with truth. And that air is going to be like yeast and it's going to spread and it will create corruption in your life, in your family, in your relationships, and in our church. We must beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We must stay fixed and focused on Jesus Christ and the pure authority of his word. Deception destroys. The World Health Organization faced one of its greatest disasters in 2008 with Chinese consumers. With It's called the 2008 Chinese Milk Scandal. It was one of the largest food safety incidents and problems that they had faced the situation is this, in the People's Republic of China, they had certain companies were mixing milk and their evaporated infant milk in this infant formula. They were mixing a product called melamine, which is actually used in like countertops and dry erase boards. Melamine has high nitrogen, but you could actually, when you mix it with like a food substance, what it registers higher protein. So in order to have a formula that had high protein when it was measured, they unscrupulously mixed melamine into this product that they were going to feed all these children. And they sold it to all these Chinese parents that were trying to feed their children. Well, by November of 2008, in the People's Republic of China, there were estimated to be 300,000 victims as a result of this foreign product that your body can't digest. In fact, it creates ruinous effects in your renal and urinary system systems. And what happened is these children, though their parents were doing everything they thought was right and feeding them with these bottles, and in fact was destroying their health and in some cases killing them. And 99% of the victims of this were under the age of three. Why do I tell you this? Because deception in any form destroys. Is it important what you and I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it really matter? It makes all the difference in the world and eternity. Let's pray.
Lord, I want to thank you for the absolute clarity of your word. We see Jesus addressing issues that we might be afraid to. And yet you want us to walk in truth, which means that we also have to be aware that there's some error out there. And then we need to steer a clear path from it. In fact, we need to help others walk in just the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So, Father, help us to really evaluate what we're taking in from the radio and messages and books we're reading. Help us to exercise discernment and maturity, not just carte blanche, accept anything that comes down the pike just because they, we hear the word Christian or Jesus or a Bible verse. But, Lord, let us abide in the truth. Let us abide in you. And would you bear much fruit for maturity in our life? We pray in Jesus' name.